All right. This morning, six things you should know about sin. Six things you should know about sin. We're going to start a new series this week, and it's going to be six weeks on the topic of sin. We call it technically the doctrine of homartology. All right. That's just a big $10 word that we use in seminary to talk about the doctrine of sin. All right. This morning, I want to give you six points, six really lessons, basic 101 doctrine of sin lessons that we need to get under our belt before we move on to the rest of the weeks that we're going to talk about sin. Okay, we're going to hit some more uh, applicative sermons in the next few weeks. This is probably the most academic of sermons that you're going to hear on these six weeks of sin. Okay, Uh, it's a little bit tedious, but we got to We got to chew through this, guys. I'm going to give you. Six points, six things that you need to know about sin, and some of them you're going to say, well, I already knew that. Some of them you're going to say, I already knew, but maybe I'm thinking about it in a little different way. Some of them you're going to say, I had no idea. I I never even thought about that when it comes to sin. Okay, so take these six things and put them in the foundation that is your doctrine of sin. And let me tell you why the doctrine of sin is important. One theologian said, as I was reading in uh, some systematic books this week, He said, you know, if we don't nail down this doctrine of sin and we don't begin to understand how sin has so desperately affected our lives. And the position that it has put us in relationship with God, who is, by the way, perfect. If we don't understand the exceeding sinfulness of our sin, then we're not fully going to comprehend the exceeding sinfulness gloriousness of our God. Okay? So it's important on a larger scale here than just knowing the things that I'm going to tell you, but we have to have this foundation, okay? And so stick with me here this morning through these six things because I think they'll lay a good foundation for you understanding and getting a hold of the exceeding sinfulness of this thing we call sin. Number one, I want to tell you the meaning of sin. The meaning of sin. There are, in the Old Testament, at least eight words used for sin or to connotate sin. In the New Testament, there's at least a dozen. That's a lot of words. A lot of words that the author could choose from in either the Old Testament or the New Testament to connotate this idea that we are calling sin. Uh, Many, many different definitions here. In all the different reading that I've done, uh, everybody's got their own definition of what sin means, okay? And so uh, I'm not going to try and give you a pat definition. I'm going to give you a little bit of a gist. In fact, I want to read you what one uh, noted theologian, a guy named Charles Ryrie, what he said sin is. And it's really, as you read some of these people's explanation of what sin is, some of them are a mile long and some of them are very short. And none of them, to be honest with you and to be frank, none of them, really cover the whole gamut of everything that entails sin. But let me give you what Charles Ryrie said. He said, sin is missing the mark, badness, rebellion, iniquity, going astray, wickedness, wandering, ungodliness, crime, lawlessness, transgression, ignorance, and a falling away. Now, Let me stop before I go any further and say that I understand that this concept of sin is wildly unpopular in our day. Uh, In today's society, it's almost become a legalistic deal that we don't talk about negative things. Do you realize that when when life insurance first came out, do you know what it was called? It wasn't called life insurance. 
It was called death insurance. Doesn't that make better sense? I mean, it's insurance against you dying. And that's what they called it. You know what they realized pretty quickly? Is that uh, death insurance doesn't sell very well. Just because it sounds negative. And so they changed the name. True story. They changed it. Impress your friends. To life insurance so that they could sell it easier. I mean, that's a positive deal. Get insurance. Secure your life. For when you die. So listen, I understand that this topic of sin, I mean, all these descriptions that I've just read to you in an attempt to try and define sin, what is the meaning of sin, I understand that they're all words that we don't like to talk about. We don't like to talk about death. We don't like to talk about taxes. We don't like to talk about religion and politics. We don't want to talk about sin, especially our own sin. Well... In the Old Testament, the most common word used for sin is the Hebrew word chata. It's used 522 times in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, the most commonly used word is the word, uh, the Greek word harmartia, and it is used at least 227 times in the New Testament. Both. Now, here's the here's what I want to give you this on both of those words that are used the majority of the time in the Old Testament, the majority of the time in the New Testament. Both of those words have this image that they portray. And the image is best described by a phrase that we use, missing the mark. It's a phrase used for an archer. And when an archer draws back his bow and he shoots that arrow, he's aiming for a mark. He's aiming for a target. And he's hoping to hit his mark perfectly. If he misses the perfect mark, he misses the mark. Pretty simple, right? Pretty simple. Both of the words, the most frequent word in the Old Testament and the most frequent word used in the New Testament to describe this thing of sin are word pictures that are a picture of an archer missing the mark. Now, here's one thing I want to say about those word pictures. Uh, It's easy for us to think about that as missing the mark. And when we apply that to sin, we think, okay, we make our best attempts to hit the perfect mark and to perfectly impress a perfect God. And we make our attempt, we draw back the bow of our life, and we shoot our actions, we shoot our attitudes, we shoot our motives, if you will, towards the perfect mark, towards the way they're supposed to go, and they often fall short. And we think, oh man, I didn't make it, I didn't reach perfection, I didn't hit my mark. Now let me say something. It means that, but in the Greek and in the Hebrew, it doesn't just mean to miss the mark, meaning I didn't reach perfection. It also assumes the truth that when we miss the mark, we positively hit the wrong mark. You tracking with me here? We hit the wrong mark. And so it's not just an attempt and I fall a little short and I'm a little off God and I didn't quite just make it. Both of these words, although they mean miss the mark you understand that they also mean we most definitely and most positively, we hit the wrong mark. And so we sin. We miss the mark. Okay? Uh, That is, for all intents and purposes, what we're going to call the meaning of sin. Okay? So that's point number one. Point number two, on the six things you should know about sin, you should also know about the origin of sin. I've given you the meaning of sin. Now let's talk just a little bit about the origin of sin. And let me say this, that in any one of these points, uh, you could write, if not just a chapter in a systematic theology book, you can write a whole book. And they have written whole books on any one of these topics. Okay? So I'm giving you just a taste. Remember, we're just trying to lay a foundation 
so that when we get into the more uh, applicative discussions about sin and how we deal with sin as lost people and how we deal with sin as believers, we have this undergirding foundation for what we know about sin. And we need to know something about the origin of sin. Who, what, when, where, why, how did sin come about? Well, two answers to that question that I want to give you. Number one, sin entered the universe through an angelic creature named Lucifer. Now, I chose my words carefully there. Number one, sin entered the universe through an angelic creature, creation, that we know as Lucifer. Now, go to your Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28. should be about the middle of your Bible, maybe a little bit closer to the New Testament. Ezekiel 28, the author is going to tell us something about the king of Tyre. But we quickly find out that he's not just talking about the king of Tyre. He's talking about Lucifer himself. And in Ezekiel 28, we get the token uh, scripture on the fall of Lucifer. Now, I want to show you and I'll read you this so that you know from the perspective of the origin of sin and sin showing its face in the universe for the very first time. This is the historical record of it. Ezekiel 28. Let's start in verse 12. <clears throat> Son of man, take up a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him. Now, this is going to the king of Tyre, but we quickly realize that it's talking about someone who has much more power than the king of Tyre. The king of Tyre, just as a little background for you, he has some of the same issues and same problems that Satan had when he was Lucifer in the presence of God. And that's why we get the comparison here. That's why we get this text that talks not only about the king of Tyre, but it talks descriptively about Lucifer who fell. Ezekiel 28, verse 12. Thus says the Lord God, You had the seal of perfection. Full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God, meaning you were in the presence of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the ruby, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, onyx, the jasper, the lapis, luzi, uh, luzili, the turquoise and the emerald and the gold and the workmanship of your settings and your sockets. All of it was in you on the day that you were, big word, created. So don't miss the fact that this guy is a created being. But he's glorious. He's glorious. Keep going. On that day you were created, they were prepared. You were the anointed cherub who covers. And I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. This guy essentially was the color guard, was the armor bearer for the king. You know the guys who stand out of Air Force, outside of Air Force One? You know, the Marines that are stationed right there outside of the door. Wherever a president walks out of a door, you usually see a Marine on each side. That's the picture of who we got here. This guy was stationed next to the holy, perfect God. and He was, if you will, the guardian of the throne. You were the anointed cherub who covers, uh, verse 15, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. By the abundance of your trade, you were internally filled with violence. And here it is. And you sinned. Therefore, I have cast you as profane from the mountain of God. Listen, this account that we're, uh, we're reading here, this is pre-Genesis. Okay? This is pre-Genesis. 
This is the first notation of sin entering the universe. And it came through a created being we knew as Lucifer. He was an angelic being. He had a job in the throne room of God. And we know from Isaiah that he decided in all of his beauty and all of his grandeur that he could elevate himself over the throne of God. Isaiah says that I will elevate my throne above the stars of heaven, referring to the other angelic beings, that he would take a place of authority, that he would elevate himself above God, that he would not have a God above him, that he would be God. And he essentially puffed himself up with pride, that he trusted more in himself than he did in God. And he said, basically, I can be God. Uh, Paul alluded to this uh, historic event in First Timothy and in the New Testament where he said, this fly is driving me nuts, guys. I'm sorry. I'm going to swat at it until I get it here. Uh, I don't know why he has to be in this area right here. Uh, Paul alluded to it when he was talking about elders. You remember he says, don't put a young guy up as an elder of the church because as a young convert, the danger of pride getting to him and him being puffed up with this lofty position so early on in his Christian walk it could be his downfall. And you remember the reference, the evidence, uh, the parallel that he draws? He said that he might fall into the temptation that was Satan's pride. So, where does sin come from? What is the origin of sin? Biblically, one of the answers to that question is that we find one of the origins of sin in the fall of Lucifer. That was the first record of sin in all of history. Let me give you the second answer here. And again, these are oversimplifications of the accounts. But the second answer to the origin of sin is that sin entered the world, not the universe, but it came into our world, it came into the earth through not an angelic being, but this time through a man. And you remember the account in Genesis. Genesis in the Old Testament gives us the historical account of sin entering our world, and it came through who? Adam and Eve. And God said, you can, you can have food from every tree, but not this one tree. And just like Satan, and with the help of Satan, the original sinner, if you will, they decided that maybe God didn't say exactly what he meant to say. And they questioned what he said. And then they determined that maybe God was all out lying to them, and they tried to go their own way. They made themselves, like Satan did in many ways, their own gods, their own determining factor. And they sinned. That's the historical account. In the New Testament, we get the theological account of what happened in Genesis. Uh, Romans 5.12. I want you to look at this. This is going to be uh, a verse we look at here in the next few points. Romans 5.12 says this. And it's a, uh, it's a commentary on the historical account of sin entering the world from Genesis. Paul said this in Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, we could spend weeks on just that verse, guys, but here's what I want to get across to you. The second answer to the question, what is the origin of sin? The Apostle Paul in Romans 5 says that not only do we find an origin of sin in the fall of Lucifer and in the pride of Satan, but we find sin entering the world through a man. And he connects here, Romans 5, all the way back to the fall of Adam and Eve. 
And he says, through that one man, through Adam, sin entered our world. James says, oh, I'm sorry, uh, let me back up just a second. A couple, couple questions that we, we need to address in addition to the origin of sin. But in relation to the origin of sin, uh, one is, did God create sin? When we talk about the origin of sin, we always have to ask the question, is God to blame for the creation of sin? And the answer is obviously no. God did not create sin. Listen to what James says. Let no man say when he is tempted. And understand that temptation is the temptation to sin. Let no man say when he is tempted to sin that he is tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. God cannot sin. He cannot lead us to sin. Some commentators, some theologians say, in fact, that sin itself is not even a created thing. That sin is just the lack of what is good. And so, while there is good created, you don't have to create evil. You don't have to create uh, sin because sin is a lack of doing what is right. Does that make sense? And so, in and of itself, it's not even a created thing to say, did God create sin? But the next question is, did God allow the possibility of sin? And the answer to that is, of course He did. That while God did not create sin, He did necessarily have to allow for the possibility of sin. Um, we, we know that uh, uh, from Scripture that uh, in that God has from eternity past planned for a route of redemption that from eternity past there was a lamb slain before the foundation of the world that God has always and eternally had a plan to redeem us from this thing of sin so if that is true it must follow that God knew that there would be sin God knew that there would be consequences of sin and therefore God had to allow sin to unfold itself so that he could unfold his plan of salvation, okay? So a couple big questions here, but the short answers are, did God create sin? No, God did not create sin. Did God allow sin? Yes, God has allowed sin to achieve his grand and eternal and sovereign purposes, okay? So we talked about the meaning of sin. We talked about the origin of sin. Um, Let's now go very quickly to the differences between the state and the act. The difference between the state of sin and the act of sin. Uh, In the Bible, there are times where a verse will refer to sin and a verse will refer to sins, either singular or plural. It's as if the Bible refers to sin as it's this thing or as if it's this person or if it's this entity. And there are times when it refers to sin... As if it's an action. It's a specific activity. We could list the acts of sin by name. To lie, to steal, to murder. Uh, Any of those specific things we could call acts of sin. We could call them sins, plural. Uh, But there is, in Scripture, a concept of sin that doesn't only refer to the individual acts, but to the human disposition, nature, or what I might call the state. Of sin. It's the difference between a symptom 
when we think about an illness, it's the difference between a symptom. A symptom is that thing that presents itself. But it's not the actual illness itself, is it? So it's the difference between a symptom and the actual, let's call it a virus, that causes you to be ill. The actual culprit, the underlying factor. So in Scripture, one of the foundational things you need to know about sin is that there's this entity, there's this disposition, there's this nature attached to humanity that the Bible calls sin. And it's this thing. And then there are these things, if you will, that are symptoms. They're not necessarily the virus that the Bible lists out. And there are numerous, numerous symptoms of this bigger, more important, underlying, foundational issue that is sin itself. Okay? Now I'm going to stop right here in the middle because we're out of time and we'll wrap up these six important bits of information that we should all know about sin next week. All right, let's pray.